Let's take a look at one simple word. That word is arrogance. It's something that we are often guilty of, even when we don't realize we are being arrogant. All the way back to Adam and Eve, who arrogantly tasted the fruit from the tree of knowledge. People who think they know more than they actually do and are eager to provide you with unsolicited advice. That sounds pretty much like arrogance, doesn't it? We all recognize arrogance when we see it, but how about when we don't see it? We wouldn't see it because we are the perpetrator, most often unwittingly, but nonetheless, we find ourselves playing that much-despised role of a know-it-all. I'm Coach Streb, likely a guilty party of being that unintended, arrogant person. Let's work on avoiding a problem, the one that turns friends and family against you. And that is the topic on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast. Get off my grass! Welcome, welcome everyone to this newest episode of the Old Man's Podcast. Friends, family, people I don't know, friends to be, I guess we would say, welcome all. Appreciate your being here. I would be most grateful if you would take the time to subscribe to the podcast. And if you pass this on to friends and family of your own, that would be most helpful as well. Ratings and reviews, they go a long way too to help this podcast jump to the top of the rating. So if you've got a few extra moments on your hands and won't take them very long at all. So anytime you have for that, I'm grateful. So what's this episode going to be about? Related to the last episode is a follow-up based on some listener comments I had uh, where I rail on people that we think are smart people and they like to advise us on any topic. So we're going to carry that forward another step based on some listener comments. Mindset for happiness, you better believe it. We're going to carry on with that as well. I have an interesting story I read on a magazine about the Mona Lisa. That's a long storied history of that simple little painting. A little history lesson if you like that kind of thing, and who doesn't? And of course, a funny thing happened to me. This one involves an exercise known as burpees. All that coming up on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast. So what's on the old man's mind for this episode? People who think they know more than they really do and then provide for us unsolicited advice based on that superior knowledge that they possess. Now, I had some listener comments related to last week's episode. Last week, I railed on people that we, other people, not themselves, other people determine to be smart people. Then we go to them for advice or we take their advice on just about any topic. When, in my argument was, we can probably handle this ourselves. Other people there's an entanglement there, and you don't want to be that guy that's given that unsolicited advice that makes your friends or your family angry. That was the basic crux of the previous episode. This one, coming from listener comments that I got, 
wanted me to talk about what you got to call the know-it-all. And most of the comments that I got used a phrase like that term, know-it-all, or something similar. So I don't think I did a very adequate job at making my point. That really wasn't where I was trying to go. I wasn't railing on the know-it-all people. They're there. I was, I guess, cautioning us not to be a know-it-all person. So I'm going to try it again from another angle. Know-it-alls, first and foremost, actually believe that they have knowledge on a topic, maybe every topic, that you need to know about. Thankfully for you, they are there to take care of you, whether you like it or not. That's the first sign of this know-it-all person. He or she providing unsolicited advice and knowledge as a service to the masses. This characteristic, the unsolicited advisor, it's really a product of humanity, all too common and our greatest flaw, arrogance. Adam and Eve, they were arrogant. They thought that they could take a bite from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. That's a story and whatever you want to believe about that, believe about it, but it represents arrogance. And while arrogance isn't mentioned in the Ten Commandments, doesn't get a whole lot of mention in great literary works, arrogance has got to be one of the great sins that humans can perpetrate. If not a sin, it's at least a mistake. If you don't believe in sin, you got to believe in mistakes. And being arrogant is always going to be a downfall of you if you're an arrogant person. So that's a sin. It's a flaw. But it's something that all of us have. It provides fuel that can drive a person to cross lines. And now you're ticking off your friends. You're making your family angry at you. You're that guy or you're that gal. The one that really everybody kind of cringes when they see him because that's the know-it-all. That's the arrogant know-it-all. It's going to get you in trouble with other people. Your friends and your family are likely to abhor such behavior. If, in fact, that is something that you do. But, guys, I think we all do it from time to time. At the very least, you're going to make people feel annoyed. And to some degree or another, will try to distance themselves from you. If they feel like there's a chance that they're going to be bludgeoned by some unsolicited advice. And there is the problem. It's that you, if this is something that you're doing, you likely don't even know it. You wouldn't realize that you're being the know-it-all. You're just trying to help out. You just got a little good advice. You got some experience, some life experience. You got to share it. That's your position. But the receiving end of that, the people that are getting this knowledge from you, they may not want it. Nobody's willing to tell somebody that their baby is ugly. And people are not going to tell you that you're bludgeoning them to death with this unsolicited advice. They're just not going to tell you about it. Self-reflection. That's where I'm going with this. Seeing our own faults. It is something that people, myself included, do very poorly. We unintentionally push people we care about away from us. And to do that because of arrogance, that's a shame. You don't need to do it. 
Based on your own experience of being waylaid by that know-it-all person, and it's happened to us all, wouldn't you agree that that's not the person, the know-it-all, that you want to be perceived as? So, a little self-check. Take a look inside. Do you advise or dump unsolicited information on people? Now, if they're asking you advice or they're asking you questions, that's not the same thing. But do you bring it to them without them having to ask it? Watch your conversations. Pay attention to where you're going. If you do feel compelled to assist or advise friends or family, it's always smart to try to lead them by asking questions that will help them come to a conclusion on the issue on their own. Always best to just ask questions and listen. Listening more than talking. That's what this person needs if they're looking for help. That's the smart personal policy to go with on your own accord. Always be a listener more than a talker. And of course, you can always just ask. Ask them, sincerely of course, if you find yourself talking out with a friend or family member and you're just getting deep and it's going deeper and deeper and you find yourself making more comments about you should or handing out more advice, slow the conversation down a little bit and maybe flat out just ask, am I crossing any lines here? Am I coming on too strong? I don't want to be another burden for you. This is what you're saying. I'm trying to help. And in any way, if you need somebody to just listen, I'm here to just listen. But if you want to ask my opinion on something, I'm going to give it to you. You may not like it, but this is what I think. Whether you or you aren't crossing any lines or coming on too strong, anyone is going to appreciate your sincerity in that you're asking that question. It just adds to your credibility. So it's a good move. You know, negotiating life's minefields while trying to build and maintain quality relationships is hard to do. So it's best if we don't get into our own way by accidentally ruining friendships by being that know-it-all person. So in this episode, I thought I'd bring you an interesting story, a story of the Mona Lisa. Man, that is one interesting piece of art. Now, I'm not into art. Art's not my thing. But this painting goes beyond, makes fans of everybody. So a little background. The portrait was painted by Leonardo da Vinci, you've heard of him, somewhere in, in the vicinity of 1503 to 1519. So during the Renaissance, there's always been mystery of who exactly Mona Lisa is. And that's probably the first thing that'll get a person that isn't interested in art, interested in this art because of the mystery involved. I don't know where it was for practically 300 years, but it didn't get displayed in the Louvre until 1815. The Mona Lisa has its own mailbox at the Louvre because it gets so many letters. Letters to the Mona Lisa, it's been going on for centuries 
and their love letters, some asking her to marry them like crazy people. Nuts. Speaking of crazy, Napoleon was obsessed with the Mona Lisa. He hung it in his bedroom, sicko, and referred to the subject as Madame Lisa. Yeah, I don't know what was going on in there in his bedroom where that painting was hanging, where it was exactly, but that's kind of frightening. It's not a real big painting. It's only 30 by 21 inches, so it's a two and a half feet high and not even two feet wide. So not a giant painting. I've never seen it. I've never been to the Louvre. I've never been to France or Paris. Probably won't be going ever, but um, I know the story. It's an interesting story. It's last time its value was assessed in 1962, so 60 years ago. It was valued at $100 million. I think now it's just valued at priceless. I don't know what they got it insured at. Maybe still $100 million is as high as it would go. I don't know about insurance for paintings, but that seems like a lot of money. The Mona Lisa has been stolen once. It was stolen from the Louvre in 1911, so just before the First World War. And of course, that theft garnered worldwide attention. And people across the globe were trying to figure out or find out who was behind this dastardly deed. Who stole the Mona Lisa? And one guy who came under suspicion pretty quickly, you've heard of him, Pablo Picasso. Pablo Picasso's name was given, we call him a rat now, given by a rat to authorities. This guy was the former secretary of a friend of Pablo Picasso's. He had previously, this guy, stolen at least two Bronze Age Iberian sculptures, apparently those are pretty expensive, from the Louvre and then he sold them. At the time, the Louvre security wasn't very good, was it? Paintings weren't even bolted to the walls, they were just hanging there on hooks. So stealing something really wasn't too much of a challenge. Pablo Picasso and his friend, whose secretary ratted him out, uh, that guy was a famed poet on his own right, they were eventually brought into court, the two of them were, based on this secretary's tip that those two had the painting. Now, in court, it was determined that Picasso was in possession of stolen art, it just wasn't the Mona Lisa. He had those Iberian statues in his possession. Now. They quickly returned him, and the judge let both of them off with a warning. But that's pretty cool that uh, Pablo Picasso was brought to court thinking that he may have stole Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. I had no idea that happened. What an interesting story that is. The search for the mysterious Mona Lisa, it took two years for them to find it. But they finally did. The popularity of the painting grew exponentially during those two years, mostly because reproductions were splashed all across the newspapers worldwide. People were showing pictures like, like a milk carton. If you see this painting, it might be stolen. In 1913, so about two years later, an Italian employee of a firm that was doing cut glass work for the Louvre, he emerged as the real thief. He was caught after trying to sell the painting to an antique dealer in Florence, Italy. 
Now, that's a whole nother interesting story right there. He believed that the Mona Lisa didn't belong to France, that it rightfully belonged to Italy. So he felt like he was stealing it for the motherland, for Italy, and he was thought that he was going to be a hero for bringing it back. And he wasn't. He was jailed. And again, another interesting story is how he actually came about stealing this. As I said, he was working for a cut glass company that was doing some work inside the Louvre. And he, what he did was he went and hid out in somewhere in, the, in a closet or behind something. He was hidden inside the building after closing time. Once most of the people cleared out, it wasn't really that heavily guarded. He just simply walked up to the painting, took it off the wall, and walked out the door. And again, he thought he was going to be a hero. He took it back to Italy expecting a reward for returning it, air quotes there, to its rightful place, Italy. Well, he tried to sell it to an antiques dealer, and the antiques dealer called the police. He served eight months in prison for his crime. So the guy that stole the Mona Lisa, he did eight months in the joint. That was it. That doesn't seem too bad for stealing a painting of that, that magnitude. Well, suffice it to say, the Louvre's security has vastly improved in the centuries since, and the painting isn't going to be leaving its exhibit anytime soon. If you ever get to France, if you ever get to Paris, go see it. I understand it's a bucket list thing. I'll probably never do it. Hey, how about you take a picture and send it to me? I'd appreciate that. All right, people, gather around. Coach has got a pep talk for you. Happiness is a mindset. There can be no question about that. No one can argue that being unhappy is a state of mind as well. So it works both ways. How you think, what you focus on, have so much to do in determining how, your quality of life, how much you enjoy, or on the flip side, don't enjoy life. And we should enjoy life. Life is to be lived and enjoyed. So get your mind right. Have the proper mindset for happiness. On each episode of this podcast, we discuss this based on what experts, research, my personal experience, we talk about how this mindset for happiness, how we can have that. And we have to have that. Today's topic is courage. Success takes courage. It doesn't happen without courage. Success is an important step. It's an important attribute to your happiness. Being unsuccessful, that's going to happen. And you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to power through it and persevere. But when you are successful in things that you do, that's happiness right there. And to get to that point, to have the success that's going to make you happy, you've got to be courageous. So I'm going to start off with a quote from a very courageous person, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, 35th president of the U.S., John F. Kennedy. Being courageous requires no exceptional qualifications, no magic formula, no special combination of time, place, and circumstance. It is an opportunity that sooner or later is presented to all of us. 
Isn't that the truth? We've all got opportunities to be courageous, to do the right thing. You've had it in your life, and it'll come to you again. Now, it's easy to be ordinary or to be mediocre, but it takes courage to excel. And to excel is to create that mindset that I'm speaking of for happiness. Sometimes you have to be different from the crowd because the crowd wants to be ordinary. The crowd desires mediocrity. They don't want to work. They don't want to persevere to excel. That's why there's not very many people that can do it. Courage seems to be a rare attribute. And it is rare, and it shouldn't be, but it is because it's hard. The rewards are real, but so are the risk. It takes courage to sacrifice, to work long, to work the hard hours when you could be relaxing, playing video games, just relaxing and taking it easy. You make excuses about you're tired, you're hurt, you're sick. It's easy to be average, but it's hard to be the best. It takes courage to stand for your own convictions when those around you seemingly have no convictions at all. It takes courage to keep fighting when you're not getting what you want, what you work for. Courage and perseverance go hand in hand. It takes courage to stick to your game plan and to be unrelenting in the pursuit of the goals, especially when you encounter obstacles, and you are certainly going to do that. You have to be courageous. It takes courage to push yourself to the places that you have never been before, mentally is what I'm talking about mostly, but physically as well, you have to test your limits. You have to break through barriers. That takes courage. One thing that I've always believed is that we are put here on earth to be tested, to be challenged by adversity, and to see what we can do to accomplish anything through all these obstacles, through all this adversity. The successful person is the one who's continually going to face the problems and the challenges that life brings. He or she is going to overcome all those challenges no matter what the obstacles are. I also believe that most people have far more courage than they are willing to give themselves credit for. When tested, people find that they do have courage. To go deep into their souls, they see courage. They can do things that they never thought possible. That amazes most people who initially didn't believe that they had that in them, but we all have it. We just don't realize it. I don't think you get a whole lot of help from society when it comes to courage. People frequently tell those that they see trying to excel that they can't do the things that they're trying to do. They're negative and don't have negative people around you. Negativity is the antidote to courage. You don't want that. Being negative is easy. You should never be self-negative. And get yourself away from people that are negative towards you. Being negative is safe. It deals with the knowns. You are courageous. You are driven. You take risk. You don't need safe. And you don't care about the unknown because you have courage. Be positive. Take risk. Deal with the unknown because it takes courage to succeed. Yay!
It is time to play Engage Your Brain, that weekly activity I like to do on the podcast to remind myself and everybody else that we have to engage our brain every day. We're going to do five trivia questions. I got sports as a topic today. All five questions deal with sports. So if you're in that kind of mood, good luck to you. Let's get it done. First question, NFL. What football team was formerly known as the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets? This is an NFL team that was formerly known the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. They made it to the Super Bowl this year but they didn't win it. The answer is the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's go to swimming. Which swimming stroke was introduced into competition in 1952? So if you watch the Olympics or any high school or international, any competition, there's four strokes in the competition. One of those four was the most recently introduced in 1952. Which one was it? The answer is the butterfly, which in my opinion is way too hard for anybody to do. I don't know how anybody does it. Next question, tennis, Wimbledon specifically. Back in the day, Bjorn Borg was a beast. How many consecutive Wimbledon titles did Bjorn Borg win? Bjorn Borg in the 80s won five consecutive Wimbledon titles. First one to do that, the man was a beast. Question four, MVP of the NBA in 1976 and 1977 and 1980. So he had three MVP titles and it was the 70s, 76, 77, and 80. The answer for the NBA MVP, three years running, 76, 77, and 80, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay, here's the last question. I'm going to go video games. Okay, it's not really like a sport, but arcade games, they're activities if not sports. Well, they are esports now. No, don't get me started. Another day we'll talk about that. Do you know the name of the first arcade game that became a hit in 1973. Some of us played it. I'm one of them. I mean, you probably still can. It's a throwback game. I'm sure it's still there somewhere. I remember we had one of these. Arcade game that became a hit in 1973. First one that I can remember. Pong. Who played Pong when they were kids? We did. It was great fun. There you have it. Hope you did great. But more than anything else, I hope that you remember to engage your brain every day. Well, as usual, I have a funny tale for you. This may not be a funny story. It's not funny to me. I hope you laugh at it. But for me... It was sad and pathetic. This is a sad tale of the demise of a human being. 
me being that human being. So I started a new workout. Got it out of the internet. You know, you can download workouts. There's billions of them out there, but I kind of like the looks of this one. Doing resistance training on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then on Tuesday and Thursday is a conditioning and core work kind of circuit where you go from one exercise to the next, go through it four or five times. It's a pretty good test. I really like this workout. I think it's working good for me. Well, the first time up on this first circuit on Tuesday, I believe it was, the very first exercise was burpees. Now, you all know what burpees is, right? You squat down, put your hands on the ground, kick your feet out, do a push-up, kick your feet back in, and jump up in the air. Pretty simple, right? Now, the workout calls for 10 of those. And I'm thinking, 10? Come on. I can do that while I'm eating a ham sandwich. Don't think I've never tried that before. I have. But anyway... 10 burpees, piece of cake. I can do this easy. So here we go, first one. Squat down, hands down, kick feet out, bring them back in, jump up. Uh, yeah, okay, that wasn't too bad. Number two, same thing. Feet come back in, hop up, and yeah, I'm starting to get a little tired already. Two burpees in. By the time I got to five, I wasn't sure I could finish six more or less get to 10. By the time I got to eight, I couldn't kick my feet out and bring them back in without crawling on my knees. And believe me, there was no hop at the end. We hop up in the air. No, that wasn't happening. By the time I got to 10, the push-up was a head bob. I was on my knees just trying to stand up. No more jumping. 10 burpees. I was really devastated. I cannot believe that 10 burpees was like climbing Mount Sarabachi. I just couldn't do it. It's kind of embarrassing. I probably shouldn't tell anybody, but hey, I'm trying. 63 years old, 64 next month, and I can do 10 burpees now. I'm two weeks into it. The first week was the hardest. Second week, I can do 10 relatively correct burpees. I don't crawl anymore. I do somewhat of a push-up, and I kind of jump a little bit. I don't mind you guys laughing at me. That's absolutely fine. Just trying to have a good time over here. Yeah, get a little exercise in. But if you're thinking badly of me, how about you try and do 10 burpees right now, and then laugh at me. Well, that sound means the old man has got to go. This episode of the podcast has come to a conclusion. Let's remember this week, everybody, be courageous. You know you're going to have obstacles. You know you're going to have opportunities to exhibit courage. You have opportunities to do the opposite, to give up, to surrender, to not stand for your convictions. Overcome those. Be courageous. Stand up do the right thing. That's basically what we're saying. So courage, that's the word of the week. Let's make sure that we're being courageous. That's how life is made happy. You know, another thing we need to make sure that we're safe out there and you all come back again next week because we're going to do this again. It's great fun. Thanks for being here. Please come back again next week. Pass it on. Tell everybody you know about the Old Man's Podcast and make sure 
each day you are living, loving, and playing boldly. Get off my grass! Damn kids. Thank you.